From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel and this is the Times of India podcast. The United States of America exited its longest war last month, but without ensuring a peaceful settlement. Afghanistan has once again been left in chaos, dealing with violence and uncertainty as the Taliban take over city after city. In India, the cold fact of what happens in the neighborhood doesn't necessarily remain in the neighborhood was brought home last week when the brilliant Indian photojournalist Danish Siddiqui was killed in battle in Kandahar. Danish, who worked with Reuters, had been embedded with the ANSF, the Afghan National Security Force, when the convoy he was traveling in was attacked by the Taliban in the Spinboldak district near Pakistan. The Pulitzer-winning photojournalist was embedded with Afghanistan troops in Kandahar, where he was covering the clashes and uh, between the Taliban and the Afghan security forces. He unfortunately succumbed in one such clash. The Pulitzer-winning journalist, photojournalist, unfortunately no more. In today's episode, Indrani Bakhchi, the paper's diplomatic editor, and the Kabul-based Afghan journalist Bilal Sarwari unpack and explain the complex situation in Afghanistan, Pakistan's role in stoking the conflict there, and why India needs to be worried about what's going on in the region. So the Taliban, what they really want to do is to convert Afghanistan back into what they call the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, and no longer part of any democratic or quasi-democratic process. So that's what. And surprisingly, for uh, many of us who have watched Afghanistan over many years, surprisingly, the ANDSF, or the the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces, have capitulated in many places, giving up without a fight, particularly in in the provinces up in the north. Uh, The Taliban, too, have a fairly smart uh, military strategy this time. They concentrated their big early uh, actions in the north and in the west for two reasons. One, because the borders of both the north, uh, which is Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, and in, on the west, which is Iran, all these borders yield fairly um, substantial customs revenue. One of the reasons for them to take over the northern borders and the western borders is to deny or rather to preempt any possibility of another northern alliance being formed. If you remember back in the 90s, when the Taliban overran Afghanistan in their earlier avatar, um, the resistance to the Taliban came from Ahmad Shah Massoud, from the Panjshir Valley in the north. Uh, their fighters came mainly from Tajikistan, from the Shias of Herat and Mazar, uh, which means from Afghanistan, from Iran. Now, the Taliban strategy this time is to is to preempt that from happening. Of course, there is no uh, commander of the likes of Ahmad Shah Massoud any longer. In fact, his son is not even a patch on him, really. But this has been their military tactics, and it's been a fairly smart tactic. In the South, and what you saw in Kandahar and what you are seeing currently in Kandahar 
uh, right now, which is a, a battle between the Taliban and the Afghan forces, where Danish Siddiqui, the Indian photojournalist uh, for Reuters, working for Reuters, who, who was killed, that is actually a battle for a big, big uh, uh, a gateway into Afghanistan, which is the Chaman Post and the Afghan part of the Afghan counterpart of Chaman Post, which is on the Pakistani side, is called Wesh. And uh, Wesh and Chaman, if the Taliban control this, they actually control entry and exit into Pakistan. So that is what their military strategy at this point is. So that's what they really are looking for. But ultimately, I mean, their big game is to basically take control of uh, Kabul once again. Bilal Sarwari tells Indrani Bakhchi that the American withdrawal from the country has left the Afghans vulnerable, not just militarily, but also economically. Other than the killing and the economic blockade, the Taliban has even attacked the Salma Dam, which the Indian government helped build and which provides irrigation to 75,000 hectares of otherwise arid Afghan land. These attacks started when the Americans announced in May that they were withdrawing from Afghanistan militarily. So obviously a massive uh, blow for the Afghan National Security Forces because the Americans are leaving in the absence of a credible peace process, in the absence of a comprehensive and permanent ceasefire, something that the Americans had promised to the Afghan government. We have to also remember that when the Americans got into talks with the Taliban in Doha, they sold them as peace talks. The Afghan government was never on the table. 6,000 Taliban leaders and commanders were freed. And then we realized that the Taliban, uh, you know, started sensing a military victory. They knew that the Americans were leaving, whether you talk about uh, the former administration, President Trump or President Biden. So as a result of this, uh, the Afghan government also lost air support, the airstrikes, which were crucial in terms of preventing Taliban from taking over uh, provinces and districts, but also the logistical support. American Air Force would drop food, you know, sacks of potatoes, bread, uh, water. They would evacuate the wounded across the most remote corners of Afghanistan. And then we also saw an interesting trend, at least from my travels to four corners of the country, that the services to repair and maintain the Afghan Air Force uh, was up in the air, you know. A lot of it did not happen on time. These are aircrafts that need to be serviced. They need to be maintained. And the pressure on the Afghan special forces, on the Afghan commandos, on the Afghan air force is immense. I think we also continue to see another dynamic at play at a district village level, where a lot of these commanders and a lot of these soldiers and a lot of these village district level uh, important leaders and commanders have taken their own insurance with the Taliban. The Taliban don't kill them if they surrender. They have said, well, we have to live in the valleys. Why should we be fighting? I think part of the problem also has to do with the fact that Kabul was divided. There was a lot of political bickering. Kabul failed altogether. The government, as well as the political uh, you know, leadership, to create a united front on the peace process, to create a united front to back the Afghan national security forces. A couple of reports that we've read, and it probably corroborates what you just said, that the Taliban are actually killing uh, the fighter pilots of the ANDSF. Is that correct? We've also read reports of water fire at the Salma Dam. 
how credible are these reports i think uh, the targeted assassinations is a is a is a dangerous trend that started well ahead of what we are seeing at the moment so it's a, a quite tragically a very lethal trend we continue to see the killing of tribal elders judges pilots prosecutors members of the media members of the civil society i think we continue to see uh, quite tragically and quite visibly we continue to see a trend where afghanistan's infrastructure is under attack so from a district building that was blown up to roads uh, to clinics to hospitals uh, you know according to afghan officials the taliban were firing mortars at the salma dam which is one of the big iconic projects of india and post 2001 afghanistan and i think if afghanistan continues to not get a credible peace process i i emphasize the credibility it cannot be just banal talks it cannot just be talks in very comfortable settings in doha as long as it does not stop the bloodshed and killing as long as it does not prevent the destruction of the vital infrastructure that afghanistan has got since 2001 where blood and treasure has been invested the people of afghanistan will lose their faith in the process i think we also continue to see a situation where the afghan people have spoken clearly from kabul to a district to a village to some of the most remote parts of this country even the grassroots movement for peace you know they walk barefoot they took risks you yeah. know they, they said enough is enough so comprehensive ceasefire permanent ceasefire is going to be the only way for afghanistan to get ahead of this violence and this destruction i've seen reports that uh, afghan afghan government representatives as well as the taliban have met in uh, doha do you have a read out at all on the meeting could this be the beginning of a peace dialogue second uh, uh, spin boldak you mentioned mentioned spin boldak and uh, we've seen a lot of heavy fighting in spin boldak um, we've also seen amrullah saleh's tweet yesterday saying that the pakistan air force uh, warned the afghan air force against attacking taliban positions in the border areas what do you make of both of these news reports well let's take kandahar as an example kandahar yeah. is an important uh, city in, in southern afghanistan it's a regional hub it is the home of former president hamid karzai as well as you know the former home of at the taliban when they were ruling it was their center of governance the fighting started at the peak of the pomegranate season in the arghandab river valley a strategic district that sits on the edges of the city it's also known for its grapes and when the fighting started it was at the peak of the time when farmers would have been packing their pomegranates to be sold in kabul in afghanistan but also in india pakistan in dubai uh, so we saw massive economic consequences i myself was able to walk through the valley and to be honest with you it broke my heart because this beautiful valley was turned into a destroyed uh, you know set of homes where both the afghan government and the americans carried air strikes but the taliban also brought ample amount of explosives and they dug tunnels home to home so we saw some of the most complex battles in in the arghandab river valley then taliban started attacking the city of kandahar itself so at the moment you have fighting within several police stations in the city the district of dand 
which is another district that shares border with the city as well as the district fell to the Taliban. And then we saw the attack against Pinboldak, the home of the former police chief of Kandahar from the Achikzai tribe, General Razik, yes. who was furiously anti-Taliban, but also uh, more anti-Pakistan. He had spoken about Pakistan's interferences. So we saw the looting of his home. Then we saw the Taliban going for the Waish, uh, you know, border crossing, which no. is also a major trading hub. I've been able to speak to traders who have been telling me that they have been reaching out both to the Taliban and to the government, urging them to protect their merchandise and goods. And according to very credible Kandahari traders, around $600 million worth of investment is there. So it's very clear that the Taliban uh, want to have uh, you know, resources, they want to be in control of money, but they also want to be telling these countries, look, we're the legitimate government, you have to deal with us. On the other hand, they are also trying to dry the coffers of the central government in Kabul. How long do you think the Ghani government can hold out? Is Ghani the new Najibullah? Ghani is sitting in Tashkent, meeting everybody, including our foreign minister. But in your view, what is it that the Ghani government should be doing? I think let there be no mistake that this is the Afghan government. This is the state. Despite all its uh, shortcomings and problems and lack of unity. This is the Afghan government. You have the Afghan National Security Forces. President Ghani has been badly wounded, badly cornered, I, I would say, by the Americans, but also by his own, uh, you know, allies within the government. So one cannot park all the blame. I think, uh, you know, we have seen uh, President Ghani, we have seen Dr. Abdullah Abdullah, we've even heard from former President Ahmed Karzai saying that, look, you know, we do not want to see the fall of the Afghan National Security Forces. We do not want the state to collapse. So everyone has a consensus here in Afghanistan that military solution is not simply going to work. Afghanistan will uh, delve into further a phase of war, a war that will be destructive. So there has to be a ceasefire. Uh, this peace process has to work. At the same time, it's also true the Taliban leaders and commanders, as well as their political leadership, uh, thanks to former U.S. administration Trump, as well as uh, President Biden, they've been emboldened. They've got legitimacy. It is not rocket science. People should not like ignore this. How much legitimacy the Taliban got? So as a, as a result of that, the Taliban were saying, well, okay, this is our old saying now. In Afghanistan, the Americans have the watches, but we have the time. If the Americans are leaving uh, and withdrawing, why should we be serious about negotiations? And it's now very clear, abundantly clear, that Taliban military leaders and commanders, they believe in a military victory and a takeover. Look at the language that the Taliban are using. Look at the actions on the battlefield, the attacks against major provincial capitals. So there's also you know, a thin line here. One needs to also observe the Taliban. The Taliban are very smart. On one hand, they are launching these attacks. They are taking control of areas, some districts and bases, a lot of them, without a single shot being fired. But on the other hand, the Taliban are saying, we're actually not to be blamed. So I think the Americans, 
continue to repeat a historical mistake of the 1980s and 1990s when the Russians were defeated, when the Americans abandoned Afghanistan and they left Afghanistan to the wishes of Afghanistan's neighbors. And everyone knows what happened during the civil war time. Then the Taliban came in, they were the good guys, they brought security. Ravans paid a huge price to that security ultimately. With Pakistan playing a key role in fomenting trouble in the region by openly backing the Taliban, India is left in a bit of a hard spot. It can neither turn away from what's happening in Afghanistan, nor can it actively engage with the warring powers in the country. Last week in Tashkent, on the sidelines of the Connectivity Conference, the External Affairs Minister S. Jay Shankar met Afghan President Ashraf Ghani and expressed support for him. But, as Indrani says, Afghanistan's increasingly fraught relationship with Pakistan is something we need to watch out for. The hijacking of the Indian aircraft IC-814 by the Taliban, she cautions, is after all not too far back in the past. Yes, uh, Jashaka met Tani just a couple of days ago in Tashkent. And that was definitely an indication, as you rightly said, that India would support the legitimate government in Kabul. We continue to believe that they are the legitimate government. They have been elected to power. Now, if the Taliban submit themselves to elections and win win an elected government, we will deal with them. But there is a very big question of legitimacy that the Taliban need to think about. The fact is that if, if the Taliban take over power in Kabul by force, we will not, the world will not legitimize such a power uh, grab. And that is something that should give the Taliban pause because it's not like the Taliban are going to manage to hold on to Afghanistan or to run their economy or to run their civil society or their security forces without any assistance from the rest of the world. That is a point that even Pakistan needs to understand. Right now, Pakistan is pushing very hard if you saw the first vice president of the Afghan government, Amrullah Saleh, actually tweeted that the Pakistan Air Force made an official representation to the Afghans that if you target Taliban positions in Spin Boldak or in Kandahar, then Pakistan Air Force would retaliate on behalf of the Taliban. That is an extraordinary statement to me. With Pakistan kind of backing Taliban in a way, does that create problems for India? Oh, of course, of course, of course. The thing is, please remember, Pakistan has been uh, backing the Taliban and has invested in the Taliban for for decades now, at least for two decades that we know. Uh, Not just that, I mean, Taliban leaders, families live in Pakistan and Pakistan uses them as leverage and everybody knows that. They've been used as leverage by the Pakistani system with the Taliban leaders. I and mean, uh, Abdul Ghani Baradar, who is the chief Taliban negotiator in Doha, was picked up by the Pakistanis in 2010 and released only eight years later under severe pressure by the Americans to be the point person for a peace dialogue with uh, the Taliban. And the Pakistanis have no qualms about doing it. It's not like they have hidden their uh, 
control over the Taliban. So that obviously complicates India's A, relationship with the Taliban. We must also remember that in 1999, IC-814 was hijacked by the Taliban for the Pakistanis from India. So that's history that is not that far away. So it does complicate relations with India. It makes it difficult for India to remain in the way that it has in Afghanistan. While India might stay away militarily from Afghanistan, her soft power has gone a long way in building up a relationship of trust with the Afghan people, says Bilal Sarwari. But he believes that if Afghanistan collapses, the fire will eventually singe everyone in the region. I'm wondering if you could give us a sense of what Afghanistan expects from India, because obviously we don't have troops, we don't have boots on the ground. Our uh, space is being constrained not only by Taliban, but by Pakistan, because Pakistan is using this uh, situation to constrain India's presence, India's footprint in Afghanistan. Well, uh, Afghan officials, uh, including President Shavani and many others, have spoken to that uh, effect. They have said that India must continue to support the Afghan state, which India has done over the last 20 years. Which we continue to do, yeah. India has built Afghanistan, you know, houses of parliament. Uh, thanks to India, our players are now playing in IPL. We have a home ground, uh, Rashid Khan and Muhammad Nabi and uh, Majib Zadran, they continue to inspire. Fantastic cricketers. And for Afghans, these players in the Afghan national cricket team is a matter of great pride. We remember the days when we didn't have our own team. But at the moment, there is a uh, talk among, you know, officials and politicians and members of the, you know, society that India should own the peace process, that India should get involved in a, in a bigger way in the peace process uh, after all that India has done in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. I heard Zalman Khalilzad say that yesterday, uh, that uh, a Taliban government that takes over by force will not have the legitimacy. And I've, I, I heard Jaishankar said, say the same thing. The point is, Taliban government has been there without international legitimacy before, with only recognition from Pakistan and UAE. Does the Taliban even want international legitimacy? How do you see that? Let me answer your question slightly different. Uh, during the 1990s, I was a kid. I remember the civil war. I remember how we lost our country and Afghans were forced to leave their homes. You would remember that in the 1990s, the region was not as interconnected as it is today. That's right. Economic prosperity was not there. You didn't have common dangers and common interests. Well, today things have changed. So for Afghanistan's neighbors, as well as for Afghanistan's traditional and historical friends, like India and even Turkey and countries like UAE, they would have to be very, very worried in an event where the Afghan state collapses and you have a situation where the country gets, uh, you know, a conflict that is even more brutal and more destructive, that fire will eventually catch up with all of these countries. Today's episode was produced by Arun George and Joshua Thomas. 
For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We are available on TUI Plus, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, reach us at tuipodcasts at timesinternet.in.